to give you these verses because you'll notice, let's go to verse 10. It says, now he who supplies seed to the sower. So if you purpose in your heart to become a sower, if you purpose in your heart to become a sower, who pays for the seed? Yes, so how much does it cost you? All it costs you is to purpose in your heart to be a sower. Right. Now, it's interesting because the seed from the sower comes from God, but you also have uh, the original giving and the multiplication, everything comes through Christ. It's through the righteousness of God in Christ. When you become born again, you become the righteousness of God in Christ. That gives you a right to all of the things of God. Okay? That gives you a right to all of the things of God based not on what you did, but on what Jesus did. Okay? Now then, but see, the devil, what he likes to do is he likes to tell you how much it's costing you. For example... When we tithe, right? When we tithe, are we giving? Uh, when we tithe, are we giving our money, or are we giving God's money? Yeah, we have our increase, and the Lord says the tithe is mine. In other words, we need to understand that our portion of the money was the ninety percent of the increase. It was never the hundred percent. You you can do only a couple of things with uh, tithe. You can either basically give it back to its owner or you can steal it, right? And that's important to understand, excuse me. So, one of the things that's very important is that we understand that when we become givers and when we become the people that God wants us to be, when we're talking about erasing debt and moving into abundance, one of the things that's very important for us to understand is God has a system and the world has a system. And I will tell you this, I'll just make a blanket statement. The majority of what we know is the world system. It's not God's system. Okay? It is the world system. And so if we try to go into God's system using the world system tactics, it's not going to work. You've got to decide which one are you going to serve, God or mammon, God's system or the world system. You have to decide which one are you living in. And so let me give you an example of that. Man, the Lord's... Uh, I am wanting to get so much to you. And uh, there's actually a video I want us to play, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, but he's right now pouring out this for you. Amen. So one of the things, I want you to keep on reading here, and then we'll go into that. It says, now he who supplies seed to the sower. So who supplies it? God does. The sower just purposes, you back up a couple, you must purpose in your heart. The sower simply purposes in his heart to be a sower, to be a giver, and not just be a, a sower, but be an abundant, if you back up. Uh, let's go back and read that one more time. Now, with that in mind, back up to verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly. All right, so remember we talked about the verse earlier, Isaiah 119, that says you must be willing and obedient to eat the good of the land. So grudgingly would be, I'm going to give, but I ain't happy about it. (laughs) I'll give, here's my tithe. You know, right? That's grudgingly. That's not willing. What I love about that story is, you know, Brother Hagin says, Hey, you said that if I'm willing and obedient, I'll eat the good land. And the Holy Spirit said, uh, you don't qualify for that. And he said, huh? I don't qualify for that. You know, and that's like, you know, shaggy, scooby-doo, you know. <laughs> what? He said, you don't qualify. He said, I don't qualify. He said, you were obedient. But you weren't willing. You were obedient, but you weren't willing. And Brother Hagin said, I, I'll tell you what, I got willing real quick. Because I needed to eat the good of the land, and I got willing. I fixed my heart issue. I was being obedient, which is better than not being obedient. But I fixed my heart issue where I was not giving grudgingly. See, people can come and they give tithe, but if they're giving grudgingly, it'd be better for you just to keep it. You're going to need it. That's, yeah. <laughs> You're going to need, it's the truth. How many people have ever given and you weren't given out of a willing heart? And it's like you can't hold money. It just goes out of your hand. Stuff breaks all of a sudden. I mean, just all, why? Because, You're trying to operate in the world system. You're trying to operate in God's system with the world's way of thinking. It doesn't work. You can say, well, I'm trying to give my tithe or my offering over here, but I'm giving it with the world's way of thinking where it says, this is mine and I really don't want to give it. Well, see, God's not in that. You're trying to bring a world's thinking into God's system and you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. There was, uh, I can... I'm going to try to share your testimony without giving away too much of it from last week. Last week, Gabe came up to me, or or he told me later on, he said, I had a situation and and what I felt like, basically what I felt like to give, I didn't have it to give. He said, what I felt like to give, what I feel like he commanded me, showed me to give, I didn't have it to give. I had stuff that was coming due, he said, but I wanted to honor God. And he took his honor into his actions. He got willing in his heart. I think it was Thursday that stuff was needed to be there. And uh, weren't, were you close before Thursday? Not even close. That's what I was going after. And then all of a sudden, guess what happens? God shows up. Why? And I told him, I said, God will meet you, man. I said, I know. I know that heart and I know the word. I know. And see, so what he did, the world's way of thinking is like, by Thursday, I need this much. By Thursday, I need this much. And, and the world's way of thinking will say, well, you better, you better gather all you can. Don't let any of it slip out. Definitely don't give any at church. Y'all ever heard that from a family member? Well, you stop giving to church, you know. I, Jonathan has a thing. You know, you got that one cousin. Well, if you would give all that money to church, you'd be doing better. You know, anyway, sorry. I was messing. It was good. Uh, so, but everybody's got those family members that will try to talk them out of getting in God's system where the very answer they need is to get in God's system. 
That's where he can pour out. But we will bring earthly thinking into it and then we think, oh, God's going to clear all my debt. He's going to give me so much increase. Bye-bye debt. Hello, abundance. But you're not even going to do it God's way. It ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. Let me. He, so he says, he who sows sparingly, this is like New Testament. This is not even Old Testament. Isn't that amazing? He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. For each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. In other words, you've got to say, I am purposing. I'm going to purpose myself. I'm going to be intentional to put on giving, to put on sowing. I'm going to be intentional to put on God's way of thinking and not the world's way of thinking. I'm going to be intentional about it. I'm going to purpose myself. It's not just going to happen. Well, Lord, if you'll give me you know, $10,000, I'll give some to the church. See, that's not even true because it's not purposed in your heart and here's what will happen. You'll get $10,000 come in, you'll spend it all. You'll spend every bit of it. Why? Because your heart wasn't right on it in the first place. Because you hadn't purposed in your heart. Because the truth is, when you start to understand God's way of thinking, when you don't even have it, God will say, give it and watch what I can do. If you're in the world's way of thinking, you'll say, mm, i got to have this by Thursday. But if you're in God's way of thinking, you'll be like, oh, yeah, for real? You're a good God. Oh, man, how much I got? You know, and you'll just get crazy, stupid giving. I'm telling you, I've seen, Nicole and I personally have seen more breakthrough in the last six months, and it's because we decided we're just going to get stupid in our giving. I mean, dumb. We, dumb to the world but not to God. And we've seen more breakthrough because of that. That doesn't make sense. You've got to understand that the world's way and God's way, they're backwards from each other. The world says, you grab it all, you be stingy, you, you keep every penny, you do everything. But God says, be a giver. You've got plenty. I'm not lacking. And I love you. And see, when you start to see God like that, all of a sudden, your mind shifts and changes, and you start to operate in his way of thinking. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. How are you purposing in your heart? I'm going to show you something. I'm, I'm getting to a point here. Not grudgingly or under compulsion. In other words, see, if, if you feel any pressure whatsoever to give, you've got to understand that there's a couple of things. You've got some people who stand up here and says. Now, if you'll come up here and you'll bless us this morning with $100, I promise you, all your, your answers will come this week. Well, if I hadn't heard that from God, that's, that's heresy. That is wrong. And I'm trying to force you into giving something. That's wrong. And you're going to feel that compulsion in a wrong way. But then you also have this. Have you ever, we were reading this verse in Hebrews uh, the other week, I think I did a, uh, a video on it and we talked about it at men's group. Uh, Hebrews 12, 11. It says, Hebrews 12, 11, all discipline, not just one or two parts of it, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. In other words, it, 
This is talking about when God brings discipline. Well, who's it? What part of you does God's discipline seem sorrowful to or not to be joyful? To the flesh. Is the flesh feeling the discipline of God? Is it feeling the flesh sort of feeling a pressure of God? Yes. So see, a lot of times that's what people are feeling. This is what they're feeling. And when somebody starts talking about money in church, they're feeling, they have a flesh thought, a world's way of thinking inside of them. And then they start hearing verses about being a giver and free and giving in God, in God's system. And the discipline of God is pointing on that peace inside of them, that flesh peace inside of there. And they're feeling the pressure of it. And they're like, I don't like that church. They talk about giving too much. No, 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 no. You're, you're misunderstanding how this whole thing works. Actually, what God's doing is he's trying to do some, some spiritual surgery in you. He's shining the light on that dark area that's outside of his uh, giving, outside of his heart. And he's trying to get that one piece and pull it up out of you and get rid of it so that you're not trying to bring the world system into his system and now you can operate the right way. Yeah, so you might feel the pressure on your flesh, but you've got to learn to discern between the two. And so he says, look, purpose in your heart, not grudgingly, get willing, and don't give just because somebody makes an emotional plea. But see, a lot of times we've not been at the place where we're walking in a spiritual maturity where we understand the difference between an emotional pull and the Holy Spirit's quickening. There's a difference between the two. And because we're not really clear in the difference between our mind and our spirit, between what the flesh would say and what the Holy Spirit's telling us, then we don't separate those. We, to us, they just feel the same because we haven't grown in our spiritual maturity. And so we feel like somebody's making a pull for money. And, and that's not it at all. But you can, be in, you can be in two different services. One be really bad and you feel that same way. One be really good and you feel the same way. And it's up to you to know, is this guy talking about the word? Is he actually giving the word? Or is he trying to force something? He trying to pull a fast one. But see, what the devil will do is when somebody's actually preaching the word, he'll come and he'll say, hey, he's trying to pull a fast one. They're trying to pull a fast one on you. And then if you'll believe that, you'll let that come as a wedge of division between you before you know everything they're saying, you can't hear a piece of it. That's how the flesh works. So you've got to submit the flesh. So he says, look, make sure that you purpose in your heart. Let me just ask you this. Are we supposed to become more Christ-like? Yeah, that was, you know... 10% of you thought that was a good idea. All right, are we supposed to become more Christ-like? Yes. Yeah, amen, amen. Let me ask one more time because it did raise it. Are we supposed to become more Christ-like? Yes. There we go, all right. As we purpose in our heart, even in our responses, we must become willing. All right, so we're supposed to become more Christ-like. Christ was the exact representation and nature of the Father. So if we're supposed to become more Christ-like, we're supposed to become more like the Father, like God, right? Is God an abundant, cheerful giver? So should we or should we not put that on? We should get crazy. 
You see, if, if God had one of us sitting up in heaven when he decided to send Jesus back to die for a people that were enemies and sinners and helpless, would not have we have given them earthly logic and said, they hate you, Lord. Do you see what they did with what you've given them so far? Why in the world would you save them? And then he would say, huh, you know, but I love them. And I care for them. And I want to give to them. Now see, all of the world sitting in that situation, giving counsel to the Father and counsel to Jesus, would say, that's crazy. But God's a crazy giver. He's an abundant giver. It's who he is. And when we start putting that on, all of a sudden we unlock some stuff in God that opens up some spiritual promises. And, and watch. And when we do that, God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace, that is favor and empowerment. God is able to make not just a little bit, not just most of it, but all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. You may have an abundance for every good deed. Then go to verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply, the same guy, will supply, and multiply your seed for sowing, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Now, what I want you to key in on is verse 10. The last part of verse 10. And it says this. That you may increase the harvest. If I'm a farmer and out of a particular field I bring in, you know, 50 bushels of fruit. It brings, it produces a fruit or it produces a harvest of 50 bushels. If I can make a change that turns that 50 into 80 bushels or 100 bushels, would I not be looking at ways that I could do that? Right? Now, here's the thing. If that field was, was capable of producing 100 bushels, but all I'm getting is 50 out of it, am I a good steward or not? I'm not a good steward. Matthew 6, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Good and faithful steward. Right? So we need to see what's available in God and then not hold back and come up lacking in the harvest. So if God's given us the ability to have a full and abundant harvest and we don't move into it, then what we're doing is we're throwing away some of the potential of God. And we should not see that as an option. We should say, look, I need to increase the harvest. But also what this shows is that just because a harvest is available does not mean that every person is going to walk in the fullness of it. 
it shows us that there is potential for each one of us to walk in a lot of harvest, a little bit of harvest, no harvest, even though 100% of the harvest is out there. There are ways to take the harvest of God and move it from a little to medium to full. There's ways to do that. But how are we going to do that? Are we going to do it through a physical means and physical logic? Or are we going to do it through God's ways and His system? And what system did He just lay out? What system did He just lay out? Let's go back to verse 6. Now I say this, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You, you ever read it where it says uh, that the first will be last and the last first? The servant will be Lord of all. But those who are first in this life, it, you know, it says, hey, he will be the least. See, God's ways so many times, they're exactly opposite of the world's ways. And so we can go about trying to save our own tail all over the place and completely miss it. Or we can give our whole self away for the purposes and the heart of God and actually move into the fullness of his harvest. It's like that person that you wanted to give that to that asked you for that. You probably had some checks inside of you like, I don't know if I should give this to him or not. And it's right for you to go and seek the Lord. Lord, do you want me to give? And about that time, he gives a confirming word. Yeah, I want you to give. And all of a sudden, you sowed because of the purposes of Christ. And watch what happened. Let's turn uh, to Mark chapter 10. Thank you, Lord, for a message that I didn't know I was going to preach. Mark chapter 10. And right here in verse 17, we're going to go on down, but in verse 17, the rich young ruler comes up. There's a lot. I could, we could preach a whole other hour easy on just the next few verses, but the rich young ruler comes up, right? And God says to him, God makes an offer to the rich young ruler that you don't see him making to too many people. I believe personally that this rich young ruler was supposed to take uh, Judas's place as an apostle. And we'd be reading about him. But he missed it. Why? Because what did he love more? He loved his stuff. He went away sorrowful. Remember that verse we read? Many times the discipline of God appears sorrowful. And he went away sorrowful. Because he had a lot of stuff. He let that stuff get in the way of the discipline of God. And he missed his opportunity. In other words, his harvest was decreased instead of increased. He should have just sat there, if he didn't know what to do, ponder on it, and then ask Jesus, what do I do? Because i got a lot of stuff. How do I do it? But see, that's humility. And when we move into humility, all of a sudden, grace and greater grace is given. A lot of times you find people, all they need to do, they just need to ask questions to the people that God's put in their lives as, that are helping them move through life successfully. Just get humble. Just be like, hey, I don't know what to do with this. This is what I feel like I should do, but what do I do? And somebody that knows the word and knows the goodness of God and is willing to follow him as a child, they'll give you the right thing. They'll show you how to do it. 
But a lot of times we're like, no, I got this. I'll handle it on my own. You know, I'm supposed to be a big adult. It's one of the biggest deceptions that the devil gets across to people as he teaches us that we're supposed to grow up and I'm, I'm going to get to a place where I don't need any help because I know what I need to do. Listen, even when I don't know what to do, or even, excuse me, when I know what to do, I still call my pastor. And I say, what do you think about this? Even when I think he's going to give me the answer I don't want to hear. And so I go, hey, what do you want me to do? In one situation I've told you all about is, uh, I went and I asked, see, that humility takes us to the place where Humility to God, humility to the leaders who have rule over us. It takes us to the place where grace is poured out. See, God is able to make all grace abound. So one time I went, I knew the answer from God. And I went to my pastor and I said, what do you want me to do in this situation? What do you want me to do? I said, what do you think I ought to do? Because I think I've heard from God, I'm pretty sure he said, go that way. And within just two minutes... My pastor goes, um, have you thought about this and this and, and putting those together? Something like that. And all I, all I remember is this. I don't remember the exact situation. Here's what I remember. That thing was going to output this much, and it basically multiplied it one and a half times because I called him and spent two minutes with him on the phone. Why? Because he has a grace. You know, the word says this, that through you all the nations will be blessed. See, we are to move into a place where we're never to be alone in this earth. We're to have each other to lean on, to, to fall on, to, to help each other grow. We need each other. But the devil say, nah, you, you can do it by yourself. See, the rich young ruler, all he had to do was humble himself and say, Jesus, I'm torn. Help. He's got the king of kings sitting there. Jesus, I don't know. Help. Help. And see, now, a lot of times people say, well, I just need to go and pray about it. Well, a lot of times your answer is through the person that God's put in your life. Over in Ephesians 4, it says, He has given gifts to men. And for you to throw those gifts away is not going to Jesus. Actually, going to those people is going to Jesus' plan in your life. It doesn't mean that you have to go for everything. But if you have that confusion, you have that moment, it's time to go. Even if, if it's just a question, go. Humble yourself. Ask that question. Had this rich ruler done that, he would have found something awesome. Because what would have happened? He would have given how much? All. All. Well, he who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. He who sows all reaps all and more. What was Jesus presenting him with? He had the Word right there. Hey, you sow this. Now, God wasn't going to tell him everything that was going to come, all the details of it, but we know from the character and nature of God, he had the opportunity to sow at the Word of Jesus. And what would he have reaped? Man, his harvest would have been huge. Huge. What could he have done for the kingdom? And what ended up happening? All right. So then you go on down from there. And it says these. 
Verse 22, but at these words he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. But Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. How hard will it be? And then he goes, and the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And at this point, what's happening, at this point, what is happening to the disciples and their thinking? How hard it is, oh my goodness, who's going to get in? I mean, they're becoming depressed right here in this moment. And you see it in their next question. It says this. They were saying, they were even more astonished and said to him, who can be saved? Who can be saved? Why? Because on their logical, worldly way of thinking, by Jesus' own words, this just became impossible. It became impossible. But Jesus basically says, look, don't fret. Let's look at the next one. He says, looking at them, Jesus said, with people, it is impossible. You can't do it on your own. You need me. You need Jesus. But it's not impossible with God. For all things are possible with God. So now the disciples, this is, a really, this is a funny moment to me. Now the disciples are sitting there. Now the disciples are sitting there. And they're a little bit relaxed. Just a second ago, they're like, I'm going to hell and not to heaven. But now they're like, they're, they're feeling better about themselves. But then Peter's sharp mind, you know, all of a sudden Peter's starting to put together the pieces. Hold up. He's like, wait a minute, time out. You just ask him to give all things. He's, he knows a little bit about the character and nature of God. And in Peter's mind, I believe he was going, and, and this is where Jesus goes with it. So the context proves this out. Peter goes, we've left all. Right? Peter's gone, we've been givers. What does that mean for us? Right? I can see Peter thinking this. And look what he says. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. We've left everything and followed you. In other words, we have given you all, Jesus. Now at this point, if, if Jesus thought that it was bad for Peter to be thinking this, don't you think the next words out of Jesus' mouth is, Peter, get that thought out of your head. Get that kind of thinking out of your head. This would be a perfect moment for Jesus to uh, rebuke Peter, you know, and correct him and discipline him. But that's not what he does at all. Matter of fact, he goes the exact opposite direction and says, here in verse 29, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one, no one. You're, are you included in that? There's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms. Are we talking about spiritual things and material things here? Is that the right context? No one that has left them or given them for my sake 
and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in this present age. Houses, brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. In other words, what Jesus says is, if you get into my system, you'll find that when you become a giver, it increases the harvest of your righteousness now in the earth, and in the sweet by and by, and in the time to come. And if he wanted to correct Peter, he sure did miss a great chance to do it. But he wasn't correcting Peter. He was actually agreeing with him and saying, Look, Peter, you just make sure, if you go back and look at it, you just make sure that you're giving for the right reason. You're giving for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the gospel to be sent and spread. Give for the right reason and you'll receive now in this time and in the time to come. Give and your harvest will increase. Become a giver like the Father is. It's backwards from the earth's way of thinking, but it's right in God's way of thinking. But it is going to put pressure on those pieces of the flesh inside of you. It's going to say, where I still have the world's way of thinking, the discipline of God in that, it's going to change. But here's the thing, you cannot operate in both systems. Let me give you one example of that. This is one that the uh, Lord gave me some years ago. Let's say that you have a salesman that doesn't know, a car salesman that doesn't know Jesus. One of the most common techniques in car sales is what's called fear of loss. And it goes something like this. You walk into the car dealership, you see a car, you know, you try not to show them the drool that's running down your chin, but you like the car, you know. You're trying to, to slip by, and, and when you tell your spouse, like, you try to hide that from him just so he doesn't get over anxious. But then the car salesman knows, hey, they like this car. And before you walk out the door, he goes, hey, I've got two other people looking at this same car. If you don't get this now, like I'll try to hold it for you, but you never know. Right? Y'all ever had that? Seen that? It's called fear of loss. In other words, they're trying to produce, they're trying to get you to do something based on fear. If I don't make a decision now and sign up for these umpteen thousand payments, then all of a sudden uh, I might not have this car that I'm so in love with right now. But like we were talking about earlier, six months down the road, you're like, yeah, it's, you know, it's nice. You know, we don't even honor. It's just that it's that. Fear of loss. Well, a salesman can be using that technique. And then he comes to know Jesus. I've watched this happen in people's lives. They try to continue using a world system, a technique of the world. And it's only a matter of time before they start seeing who God is and they become responsible to operate in God's system. And that technique, it won't work anymore. It will, where it worked for them for years, it will stop working. Why? Because they disengaged from their true source. The more they use it, the more they disengage from the Father who loves them and His true heart. 
And so they continue to try to use the world system. It won't work. See, what they need to do is come over into God's system, be a giver, be a sower, be a faith person that says he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. See, if I'm over here pushing fear, there is no fear in love. And God is perfect love. And perfect love casts out all fear. Why would I try to put something into somebody that's not a part of God? I'm putting in the wrong thing and I'm doing it with fear being my source instead of God, instead of love. But it says, I, it's impossible to please God without faith. See, this is not faith. This is using a technique. This is using a formula that the world has come up with because people are motivated by fear. We're supposed to be leading people out of fear. And so this same person, if he'll get over here on the other side and he'll say, Lord, you're my source. You're my provider. You're my supplier. And I believe on you. Father, bring the people in. Let them be attracted to me. Let them, Lord, I will increase like Jesus did in, in stature, in maturity, and favor with God and man. Lord, I trust you. I believe you. I apply faith for favor. Bring in the people that want to buy two or three cars, Lord, in Jesus' name. Yeah. Highlight it. Highlight, highlight this dealership and me in their heart and mind. Show yourself strong on someone whose heart is perfect towards you, whose heart wants to go after you, and will be a giver so that your kingdom can increase. Give me this testimony. See, that person now, he's not operating in the world system. He's operating in God's system. And God has every legal right to pour blessings into his life. There's two different systems. God's system and the world system. If you try to operate in the world system, you've got you to go all in. If you try and operate in God's system, you're already sunk because you don't try. You go all in. And if you try to bring a part of the world system over into God's system, you're in the world system because a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. You try to bring in a little bit of the profane into the holy. It doesn't work. You just got to give yourself to trust in God. Give yourself to faith in God and he'll show up. Just like he showed up for Gabe this week. He will show up. It might not be the way you think. It might not be the, the uh, direction that you thought it would come from. It might not be the timing, but he will show up. Last set of verses, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Timothy, where are you? There we go. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. But godliness, actually, godliness, not worldliness, godliness, actually is means of great gain. Great gain when accompanied by contentment. Let me ask you something. Who is supposed to be godly? Who, who's, who is exempt from being godly? No one should be. Who's exempt from being content with God? No one. So who's it talking about in this verse? Who does God desire to be godly and content? 
everybody, right? Then who also does God desire to have great gain in their life? There's nobody left out. What's contentment? Then the question is, a humble question is, what's contentment? So go down two verses to verse 8. He said, but contentment, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. With these, we shall be content. In other words, some people would say that covering is clothing. Some people would say that it's a roof. Either way, you're looking at pretty destitute stuff there if all you have is food and covering. But God says, have this heart about you. Be content. Be content. Paul says, I've learned how to you know, be in joy. I've learned when I have nothing and when I have everything. He learned how to be content. And then when he combined godliness and contentment, it brought about great gain. See, we've got to make sure that our heart is right. It's not just having abundance for abundance sake. It's having abundance that you know what to do with it. You know how to advance the kingdom with it so that you will have abundance for every good deed. This is why God, part of the reason why he wants to raise the increase of your harvest. But we need to learn how to get content. And we need to get godly. And if we'll do those two things, is let me ask you this. If we'll get godly and we'll get content, will we gain? And will it be great gain? Yeah, because God's promised it. But we've got to get in God's system and operate His way. See, this right here is one of those places where most people are not content. Because they'll say, yeah, I'll be godly and I'll be content. I'm going after God and I'll be content. And, and then God says, all right, I want you to give away your house, your car, all your toys, your computer, your Xbox, your TV, and everything else. They're like, now wait a minute, God. Hold up. And now you're in the same position as the rich young ruler. What if he'd have gotten content and gone after Jesus and followed him? He'd have had probably the greatest gain, greatest testimony we'd ever seen. God's not a respecter of persons. He wants to draw you to that place too. But you need to ask these serious questions of your heart. Am I content? Am I really content? Because in that place, see, when we don't have anything left, it's amazing what God can do. But see, we need to be that way in our heart, whether it's that way in our pocketbook anyway, where we're willing to shed it all. If God asks you for something, it takes you more than two seconds to get rid of it. That thing's got you. Hey, Give your car to somebody. Give, your, give, you know, give this. Give something important. Give your favorite watch. Give your favorite pair of shoes to somebody. Well, that, Lord, that's my favorite. That thing's got you. You don't have it. That thing's got you. Who's controlling who? If we'll get content, we'll realize that the God of abundance, he knows how to bring back a lot more. He knows how to give us things we like even more than that, than our favorite. Amen.